Uh, when Pastor Joel asked me to preach today, I asked him if, and I always do this, I said, do you want me to continue on in the sermon series in Matthew or do something else? And then he said, well, what do you want to do? And uh, I always say I'd rather stick with um, whatever's coming next because that's a lot easier to just stick with the, uh, the current series than just pick out something from the Bible. Um, but then as the week progressed and I started looking at the parables that were next, I came to the realization that the first parable that we're looking today is about gardening, and the next one is about baking, of which I know none about either, either thing, but I was really too far in the, the week to, uh, to change my mind. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at gardening, and we're going to be looking at baking. Um, now, there's obviously a lot more to that, and the Lord's been very faithful to not only teach me about gardening and about baking, but also uh, about the kingdom of heaven, and that's what those parables are, are about. So we're continuing on uh, this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus is using these parables to explain the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to just be looking at three verses today from Matthew 13. You can go ahead and turn there if you want. Um, Jesus tells two short parables in these three verses, and he's painting two different pictures of the eventual growth of his kingdom. And he's telling these parables to encourage his followers. And I've been praying all week that as we hear from his word, that we'll be encouraged as well. So why did his followers, uh, why did they need encouraging? So if you remember two weeks ago when we started chapter 13, Jesus was explaining the parables of the soils. And he said, when you share the message about the kingdom of heaven, you'll encounter four different scenarios. In the first scenario, your message won't be received. In the second scenario, your message won't be received. In the third scenario, your message won't be received. In the fourth scenario, it will be received. So Jesus wasn't giving them a math lesson on percentages, but sometimes we tend to see things that way. So if I'm one of his disciples, if I'm one of the ones in the crowd that day, I'm adding things up in my head. And basically I'm thinking, so Jesus is saying that that. Three out of every four times I share the message about the kingdom of heaven, it's going to just flat out get rejected. That's kind of what I'm hearing Jesus say. And obviously he wasn't giving them that percentage. That's not what he was doing. But he was preparing them for a really harsh reality, a reality that we have to be prepared for today as believers, that spreading the message of the kingdom of heaven at times can be discouraging. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the weeds. And if I'm sitting there 2,000 years ago, I understand Jesus to say that the devil himself will sow weeds among the wheat that Jesus sows. And we talked about how it's by God's grace that the weeds aren't destroyed. Because if the weeds were destroyed, then the wheat would be destroyed with them. But again, if I'm sitting there in that moment listening to Jesus, I'm still probably pretty discouraged hearing about how complicated and how challenging it is to share the message of the kingdom of heaven. Spreading the message of the kingdom of heaven can seem almost impossible. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe the idea of leading somebody else to Jesus or even making an impact on someone for the glory of God, maybe that seems impossible to you today. And that's why Jesus gives us these two parables Let's look at Matthew 13, okay? We're going to start at verse 31. We'll start with the first parable. 
31, he put, an, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I told you this is about gardening and baking. I know nothing about either one. So I didn't know what a mustard seed looked like. So here's a picture of one it looks like. So it is really small, as you can see. You see it up there next to uh, President Lincoln. But the first thing that I thought was, well, that's not the smallest seed that I've ever seen. Um, so I decided to do a little digging. So you guys got that. My kids, my kids warned me after the first service, that I don't, don't pull out a dad joke, but they're not in here. So um, yeah, so in Jesus' day, they didn't sow seeds for flowers that looked good in a, in a bouquet. That, that wasn't what they were about. They, they sowed seeds for plants that they could eat, okay? So the word garden plants refers to a plant that was meant to be eaten. So even in that context, though, the mustard seed is still not the smallest garden plant. There, there are seeds that are smaller than that. So if I looked even further, and it turns out, though, in the area of Galilee, where Jesus was preaching... The mustard seed would have been the smallest edible seed. Not in the world, but for those people that were listening right then and right there, it would have been the smallest garden seed. And I want to point this out to you guys because this is a big deal. This is huge because that right there, that is how Jesus relates to us. The creator of the universe And Jesus was the creator of the universe. He is the one who spoke it into existence. The creator of the universe knows and he cares about the smallest details of our lives. He knew where he was in the moment. He knew who his audience was. He knew the botany of the region there. And if Jesus knows what kind of plant is growing in my backyard, then it stands to reason that I can fully trust Jesus with my whole life. Every decision, every relationship, every paycheck, because Jesus cares about those small things. So I showed you a photo of a mustard seed. Now this is a photo of a mustard plant. It says plant. It it looks like a tree. Botanists classify the mustard plant as an evergreen shrub, so technically a shrub. It grows about 20 feet tall, and it can actually grow about as wide as it is tall, so about 20 feet, and then its leaves grow close to the ground. And so you can see why Jesus said that birds make nests in its branches. It's much bigger than what we think as a, as a garden plant. But again, let's put ourselves in the sandals of the people 2,000 years ago. There probably weren't a lot of botanists in Galilee at that time arguing with Jesus. Well, that's, a, that's not a tree. Jesus said it's a tree. And the people that were listening, they saw branches. They saw birds' nests. They, they knew that they would have kids climb up to the top of the tree and they'd have to rescue them like we do. It was a tree. And that's also a big deal because in the Old Testament, kingdoms are recognized as trees. In Ezekiel, there's a prophecy about the Assyrian kingdom. Ezekiel 31, uh, it says, Behold... Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and of towering height, its top among the clouds. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. Sound familiar? He's talking about a kingdom. 
Then in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a different kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel chapter 4, verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Same thing, really similar. Then in Ezekiel, God speaks through Ezekiel again, but this time about God's own kingdom. In Ezekiel chapter 17, it says, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. So you get it, right? When he's talking to the Jewish people in Galilee in that moment, they would have immediately put two and two together and realized when he's talking about a tree, Jesus is really talking about his kingdom. They would have connected that. And Jesus was saying to the audience that day, and this is what he's saying to us today, that as his followers, as people that have have repented and believed in him to save us, we are part of his kingdom. We are his subjects and he is our king. And this parable shows the contrast of that little bitty seed with that 20-foot tree. And so here's the first thing I want to ask you to write down today. You can type it in your phone, however you do that. Number one, the kingdom of heaven starts small. The kingdom of heaven starts small. So there are uh, 8 billion people on this planet right now. It started with one man, Adam. God made a promise to one man, Abraham. He promised him lots of what? Children, lots of land, and a blessing through heaven. Jesus himself was born in a small town in a small feeding trough. Starting small is kind of hard for us to understand because we like to kick things off really, really big, especially in our own country. We like when athletes make a big production out of which school they're going to take their talents to. We like that. We watch that. It's suspenseful to us. We like when there's a year's worth of trailers and there's a product line of toys all pointing to this new movie that's going to come out. And um, musical artists refer to dropping a new album like it's a bomb or something. It's not a bomb. It's just music. But they say, hey, my album is dropping. Our country has a military strategy that's actually called shock and awe. Because that's literal bombs. We like those big things. We get excited about the pomp and circumstance. But what Jesus is saying is that is not how his kingdom works. He started with 12 disciples. In Acts chapter 1, there are 120. In the very next chapter of Acts, Peter preaches and 3,000 were added that day. That's a big jump. It's growing. His kingdom is growing, but it still started small. Now, the second thing I want to ask you to write down is this. Number two, the kingdom of heaven benefits everyone. The kingdom of heaven benefits everyone. The kingdom of heaven makes an impact on those outside of the kingdom as well. 
The birds in Jesus' parable weren't part of the tree, but they nested in its branches. Their lives were made better because of the tree, because of its existence, because of where it was. And unfortunately, on our world throughout history, there have been acts of hatred and acts of violence done in the name of Jesus. And the Bible at times will get twisted to justify or even empower that kind of evil. However, when God's kingdom really does take root in a culture and true followers of Jesus, genuine subjects of the king, live their lives for his glory, everybody benefits, even those outside of the kingdom, even those birds that make their nests in uh, the tree. So compare countries who have a heritage, a history of Christian influence to countries that have never had a history of Christian influence. Compare the quality of care for the impoverished of that country. Compare the quality of education for women of that country that have had a Christian influence. Compare the legal system where you are innocent until proven guilty. Now, I know that as I say those things this morning, I know what you're thinking because I was thinking the same things as I was writing this. You're thinking, yeah, but sometimes it really doesn't seem that way, at least not anymore. And you're right, because hostility towards our Christian faith is more pervasive than ever, even in our own country. The local church is, is not only less supported in our role in society, but the local church is even less tolerated than it's ever been before. And it seems like there are more and more kingdoms that are at war for the conquest of our hearts and our minds than ever before. And, and that leads me to my third point, that the kingdom of heaven is invisible. See, Jesus told these parables to encourage the crowd. The Jews were an occupied people. The Roman Empire made the rules there. Um, the way that the Roman Empire worked is they would just have a, uh, they would take a, over a small territory at a time, growing bigger and bigger. They would put a, a local in charge of the area, and they would make sure that that, that that local was well paid and very happy because the Roman Empire was trying to expand one neighborhood at a time. And Jesus is preaching to a people that were currently, uh, had been invaded and conquered by Rome. And I think Jesus' followers wanted to believe that he was their Messiah, but they struggled. You know, they saw his miracles and they heard uh, his preaching about the kingdom, but he wasn't amassing an army. He wasn't stockpiling weapons. He wasn't speaking out against Rome. Instead, he preached things like this. He preached, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you. And they just didn't get it. They didn't understand. They wanted that shock and awe. They wanted the movie trailers. They wanted the Happy Meal toys. They wanted to see something happen. They wanted to see progress. And they didn't see it. They'd see miracles one day, and they would be all in with Jesus on that one day, and then they'd turn around and doubt him completely the very next day. And in that way, they're a lot like us, aren't they? In Luke 17, Jesus is asked point blank by the Pharisees about his kingdom. Luke 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. When you look at our own world, it 
it can seem at times like the kingdom of heaven is retreating, like the darkness seems to prevail in one situation after another over and over and over again. But we have to remember when we see things like that, that the kingdom of heaven is invisible. The work he is doing can't always be seen. The battles Jesus is winning are never going to make the news. They aren't battles for flesh and blood. They're battles for our souls. But his kingdom is growing, and it started small. It benefits everyone, and it's invisible. But it is coming. Now let's look at the second parable, Matthew 13. It's just one verse, verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like heaven, or like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So you can see why Jesus paired these together, these two parables. The first is about the size of the kingdom. The second parable shows the influence his kingdom will have. So what is leaven? Leaven is yeast and warm water that sits for about 12 hours. Um, And then it's added to dough to help the dough to rise. Now, again, these parables both contrast something really small with something really large. Three measures of flour makes a ton of bread. It makes about 11 loaves of bread. And so what Jesus is saying is his kingdom will have a disproportionate influence because a small amount of leaven has the ability to cause 11 loaves to rise. And he wants them to know that that difference is going to be disproportionate. And I want to explain something to you about leaven. Um, in Luke, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus isn't saying that leaven is sin, though. Leaven is influence. Jesus is warning them to not be influenced by the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Leaven is mentioned several times in the Bible, not as sin, but as the influence of various sins. So let's think back to the Passover in Exodus. Why? Because if or, or the Hebrews made unleavened bread on their way out of Egypt. And the reason why is because they, if, if they had brought the leaven with them from Egypt the new bread would have been influenced by the leaven from Egypt. The new loaves would have had that leaven in them. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is telling us, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's saying that even a little leaven influences the whole loaf. So leaven is not sin in itself. It's the influence of sin in Paul's parable. But if you look at Jesus' parable, it's just a good influence. And so that leads us to our fourth point today, that the kingdom of heaven is unstoppable. It's like leaven. The kingdom just keeps going and going. And like I mentioned earlier, we, we sometimes look at our world and we think of the kingdom of heaven as the underdog, don't we? We heard Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the Babylonian Empire, but I want you to listen to Daniel's dream a couple chapters later. This is about the kingdom of God, okay? It says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And then King David, Israel's greatest king uh, up until Jesus, who, uh, from whose lineage Jesus came, uh, David was praying this prayer when Solomon, his son, was being anointed. And this is what he says. Again, this is about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Yours, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Does Jesus in these Verses. Does he sound like an underdog? Does his kingdom sound like it's ever going to be conquered or forgotten or fade away? No. Jesus is telling his audience and he's telling us today that he is the king and that he is in control. It's his kingdom that influences the entire world. His kingdom is the leaven. It affects everything it touches. You might even say that like leaven when it is baked, the kingdom of heaven is at its most influential when its subjects are being persecuted. And we've, we've seen that throughout our history. There's no room for just a nominal believer in the face of persecution. When living out our faith becomes difficult or even illegal, only those who belong to an eternal kingdom, only those who are subject to the king of all kings will remain faithful in the midst of that. And when that happens, his kingdom grows. And I wanted to share some encouraging trends according to a 2022 Global Christianity Report. So this just came out. Lifeway published this. Um, it's very interesting. Um, you should go check it out. 2022 Global Christianity Report. Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. And it's growing. Not just in numbers as the people of, on this planet grow. So it's not... It's not parallel with that. It's growing by percentage. In other words, God's kingdom is advancing. It's taking ground. It's growing percentage-wise at a higher rate than the people of this earth are growing. The continent on which it's growing fastest is Africa. And Asia is a close second. Today, and I had to read this a couple of times because I, I, I was just kind of shocked by it. Today, there are more Christians that live in Africa than any other continent. By the year 2050, half of all Christians around the world will live in non-majority Christian nations. So why is that encouraging? Because by 2051 in five, non-Christians will know a follower of Jesus and have the opportunity to hear the gospel from them. Christianity is not as concentrated as it once was. It's beginning, not beginning, it's continuing to expand further and further. The gospel is because of people like Madison and others that are going way, way out into the furthest reaches of the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Its influence is unstoppable. Point number five, the kingdom of heaven grows from within. So leaven works from the inside out, right? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. 
The kingdom of heaven doesn't grow because a leader of a country just suddenly declares every citizen a Christian. Even though that has happened, that's not how the true kingdom grows. It grows when one person shares the gospel with another. When one person shows love to somebody else when it's not deserved. When one person shows grace instead of condemnation. It grows from the inside out. And our actions don't make us part of God's kingdom. We are reborn into God's kingdom. Our hearts are changed inwardly like that leaven, inwardly by the Spirit of God. Our actions are just the evidence of the growth that's happening within. So we read those parables today and we think, well, what are we supposed to do with those parables? Are they just supposed to make us feel better and more confident about God's ultimate victory and his reign as king? Yeah, they are supposed to make us feel better, but it's more specific than that. Jesus knew his audience that day. He knows us. He knows his audience today. Most of us, most of us in this room have a ministry of some kind or another. And it may not be a grace life ministry. You may minister to a neighbor or to a friend or to a family member. You may minister to coworkers. You may minister to students at school. But on some level, somewhere, most of us in this room are actively serving somebody else in the name of Jesus. As subjects of the king, we have the privilege of serving Jesus. But it's the Holy Spirit that actually grows the kingdom. Nothing that I have said today, nothing at all, is going to have an impact, is going to impact a soul apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that Drew or our worship team did this morning, sung on stage, as good as it was. There's nothing that's going to change us apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Our life group leaders, our children's teachers, they do a phenomenal job every week of teaching. But all they can do is merely point us to Jesus because it's his spirit that works like that leaven inside of us. And that is Jesus' encouragement to us today. He's telling us, be faithful and he will grow his kingdom. It's okay. It's okay that that vision that you feel like God has given you for a ministry, it's okay if that vision doesn't happen overnight. Be faithful with what God has put in front of you. Don't be anxious. He says, seek first his kingdom Pursue his righteousness. If God has led you to share the gospel with someone and you were faithful to do that and they didn't receive it, it's okay. Pray for them and keep at it. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Trust in God's spirit to work inside that person's heart like leaven. We, we tend to get so discontent with where God puts us at times, with what opportunities he's entrusted to us. We're so easily discouraged because we want those big moments. We want to see that big mustard tree, and sometimes we never get to see more than the sprout. Sometimes we don't even get to see that because everything that God is doing is below the surface. When we've been tending that garden for years and years and that mustard tree isn't as big as we think it should be, we lose faith. And the reason we lose faith is because we're looking to ourselves 
instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus completed all the work necessary on the cross. He said it is finished. We sang that earlier. The moment we look to ourselves and start to think how great a burden we bear in making sure that loved one goes to heaven, in making sure that coworker at some point says the sinner's prayer, the very moment that we make anything dependent on our faithfulness instead of or in addition to Jesus' faithfulness, not only do we diminish his sacrifice on the cross, but in our attempt to make something happen, we put ourselves in a really dangerous position to lead someone to believe that they are saved when they may not be saved yet. And that doesn't mean that there's not that there's not urgency or importance to what we do because Jesus did command us to make disciples. But the way we do this is we point people to the finished work of Jesus every chance we get in every situation they're in. And I promise you, he's going to be faithful to us to do what only he can do, the things that we can't do. He's going to be faithful to do those things because it's not about, getting, it's not about us getting somebody to cross that finish line. It's about pointing people to the one who already said it is finished. Church, we need need to, to celebrate like crazy when somebody comes to know the Lord. We need to get more excited when we see someone publicly professing their faith through baptism, myself included. Sometimes, and I'm I'm the worst one, sometimes it just feels like when we see somebody publicly acknowledging, I made a decision to put my faith in Jesus, and now I'm going to heaven instead of hell. We don't need the slow clap. We need to be locked in. We need to celebrate what they have done because they made a huge life-altering decision that won't just alter their life, but it's going to alter the life of everybody that they are around because now they are part of the kingdom of God. Now they are the leaven that's going to influence one person after the other. But we also don't need to take lightly the first time, the beginnings of other small things. That first time that we hear a child utter a prayer. That first time that a student shares his or her faith boldly with another student. That first time somebody, somebody agrees to, to serve in our church, to serve in the nursery, to serve helping park cars. The first time they, they do that, they step out in faith. They've never done that before. They're bold to do that. The first time that someone leads in a life group, that leads in a discussion, we need to celebrate those things because Jesus loves those small things, those things that we sometimes barely even see. He loves those. It's in those small moments like that, if you think about your own life, It's in those small moments like that that eventually, over time, God has used to lead you to the point where you are sitting in these chairs right now worshiping him. It wasn't just shock and awe. It was faithfulness of other people influencing your life over time, and you are growing, and you are growing, and you are growing. And I know full well that not everybody in this room is part of the kingdom of heaven. You may know of Jesus, but you don't know him, and he's not Lord of your life. In Mark 1, Jesus tells us how to become part of his kingdom. Mark 1 verse 15 says, in saying the time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus has come, and he's invited us to be part of his kingdom, to be changed by him, to be made new by him, to have a part in what he's doing. And the invitation to those that don't believe is to repent and to believe. And sometimes my heart breaks because there are people that come and sit in this room every single week and they are living lives that are completely uninfluenced by the person of Jesus. They live outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the family of God. And and you don't know the joy of serving our King. You don't know the privilege of walking beside brothers and sisters who have been born again. We say it all the time in our church. He gets the glory, we get the joy. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you are not living as a follower of Jesus, as a subject in his kingdom, you are not living in a neutral kingdom. You are not Switzerland. If you are not a subject of the king, you are living opposed to Jesus. And you are living opposed to his kingdom. And these, these parables, they're encouragements to you too. Jesus is saying repent and believe in the gospel because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the time is now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we, we thank you for these parables today. And I pray for the folks in this room who serve faithfully in many different ministries, who seek to share the gospel every chance they get. Holy Spirit, would you encourage them to keep at it, to not be discouraged when they don't see harvests, to to not give up when those numerous conversations just continue to fall on deaf ears, to not stop praying, to not stop serving, but to trust your spirit to do your work in your timing, one life at a time. And I pray that those people who are sitting here who, right now who are not a part of your kingdom, who have not repented or believed, Lord, thank you for your word to them today. And I pray that they would turn their lives over to you now for your glory and for their joy. Jesus, you are our King, and and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to surrender our lives to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The invitation is to, to two different groups today. The invitation for people that are in the kingdom of God, that that are serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus, their encouragement is, is to keep at it to keep going, to don't give up, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to put your hope in Jesus, to know that his kingdom is unstoppable, that he's going to accomplish the task that he has put in front of us. So be encouraged this morning, whatever your ministry is, whatever he's put in front of you, keep going. He will be faithful. Fix your eyes on him. And for those of you this morning that you are not a part of the kingdom of God, you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, you are not neutral. You are opposed to Jesus.
his message this morning for you is that just like those of us who are trying to surrender our ministries to him, that you would surrender your life to him. That you would make him the king of your life. And that you too would, would come to, to a realization of how vast his love is. Of how great his mercy is. That he, Jesus died on a cross to make you part of his kingdom, that you would be adopted into his family, that you would be heirs to the throne because of him. And I pray that you too would, maybe for the first time this morning, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's worship the Lord this morning.